I think this is probably true of almost every founder, certainly every first time founder, which is for every person that, you know, truly believes in you, they're going to be a hundred who either don't believe in you or don't care. That could be investors. It can be potential customers. It can be potential team members. Mm-hmm. And so what I, what I believe is from, from the people who believe in you, those are gold. Draw your inspiration from those people. Hey everyone, this is Devin Miller here with another episode of The Inventive Journey. I am your host, Devin Miller, the uh, serial entrepreneur that's grown uh, some or several businesses to seven and eight figure companies, as well as the founder and CEO of Miller IP Law, where we help startups and small businesses with their patents and trademarks. And today we have a great guest on the, uh, on the podcast to tell another good journey, um, Jonathan Stern. And Jonathan was a consultant for 25 years, and then he realized that uh, consultant products um, were, were going to be unsustainable and wanted to switch it. And uh, then he left uh, Bain after being a partner for a while and then launched uh, Snapstrat um, about four years ago. And so he'll tell you a little bit more about all of his journey and what they're doing now with Snap, Snap if I can say it right, Snapstrat. And uh, welcome on to the podcast, John. Hey, thanks. Thanks, Evan. Appreciate it. And I uh, appreciate the opportunity to tell, uh, to tell my story. So I gave just a very short intro, but maybe if you want to walk through and we can get into a little bit of deep, more detail, um, kind of a little bit about your journey and what led you up to Snapstrap. If I can, I'm going to sure. end up getting tongue-tied the whole time. Snapstrap. Yeah, I, I will say that, you know, we, we <laughs> the name, I'll, I'll deviate a little into the name Snapstrap because obviously there's a, there's a Snapchat uh, thing that comes out of it. And, but uh, we wanted a name that evoked uh, both strategy, uh, the ability to adhere to something, and speed. And so that's, that's the origin of Snapchat. It actually was said a few times, it gets easier. So, uh, so I am, um, yeah, as, as I mentioned, I, I spent you know, 25 years in, in strategy consulting, and it's a, uh, I love the problem-solving aspects. I love engaging with teams on really hard problems, but it's a client service business. And what I found is that, you know, we were turning over at the end of a strategy engagement, a spreadsheet or a PowerPoint deck that tried to provide a roadmap to a company on the set of strategic decisions that we'd need to make over the next, you know, usually two to three years. And as I, as you know, I went through my career and business cycles began to get faster and faster and customer Mm -hmm. needs were changing faster and faster and competitors were evolving quicker and quicker. Uh, the half-life of that PowerPoint or that spreadsheet was getting shorter and shorter. And, and what, what my clients wanted more than anything else was not just advice, but an asset that helped them to change, help them make the decisions that turn strategy into execution. And I started to look around. I, I, I was, as, as my clients were asking me for tools instead of the spreadsheet, you know, something that was sustainable, I started to look around. Did this, this thing exist? Was there someone who was doing this? And I realized there wasn't. Uh, the space was wide open for a variety of reasons. Technology was evolving to a place where you could uh, you could build a platform that would do some of the things that, that not not all the things, but some of the things strategy consultants do in a way that was sustainable for 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 its customers. And so, uh, after so researching the market, really quick on that one, so you say unsustainable, and I know you touched on this a little bit, but what were the things that made it unsustainable or saying, hey, this is what I need to fix or what we need to do different? Sure. Yeah. When you make a decision, uh, so if you, so 
strategy sets a long-term direction. Like here's the set of customers I want to go after, or here's a set of geographies I want to move into. That's sort of a strategy with the guest. The, the value you realize from that strategy happens through a series of decisions that are made when you make that strategy execution. So I'm going to move, let's take a geographic strategy. It's an easy one to think about. You know, the strategy might be you're going to move into 10 comp countries. In the next, every six months, you got to figure out what country I'm going to move into, where, how much money I'm going to spend, what kind of marketing, what kind of products I'm going to put in that country. Those are the decisions that turn this, this strategy actually into getting value. And what was happening when I talk about sustainability was in the old days, 25 years ago, when I started this, three years was not a very long time in the evolution of business. So the business world, if you made a decision year one, year three, that decision was going to be pretty much still okay. Mm. You know, fast forward today's world, you make the decision three months, it's not okay. And so sustainability- Especially in the last about, few months, you make a decision a week ago and it's not the same. Yeah, yeah. So this world has become this really agile, moving thing, right? Mm. And and the way that management teams operate, for those of you who've lived in corporate, you know, the corporate world is still stuck in in this really old paradigm of, of meetings and spreadsheets and consultants. And, and we're just moving that into in into what technology allows, which is a just an agile digital capability that um, you know the companies can use to kind of have their strategy always relevant. Okay. No, I, I think that, that makes good sense as far as really trying, you know, taking what people were used to for a long period of time and wait, may have worked in the day when the, you know, everything was less connected, you know, and I, I would put it as, you know, a, a plethora of things. One, internet didn't used to connect everybody so much. Everybody wasn't connected with the phone. Everybody wasn't connected with an email. What happened in Europe didn't impact Europe, the U.S. as quickly as didn't, you know, or what happened in Greece or somewhere else. And, you know, everything has just become a lot more interconnected, a lot faster paced, and everything has more, you know, a lot more interrelated impacts on each other than it might have might have been. So I certainly get the, you know, the unsustainable nature of looking back and trying to say the way we did it a while ago before everything was interconnected doesn't work now. So you did the strategy consulting for a while. And if I remember, you know, or remind me, part of that was with Bain or you went to, you were a partner at Bain or was that at the same time or is that afterwards or how did that play in? No, I, so I started my career, I was a software developer actually out of college and, uh, jumped from that uh, into McKinsey back in the late 80s when they were first beginning to worry about technology. Like technology mattered to companies. It was starting to be more than just a MIS system that you know, ran accounting. Mm. Uh, it was a competitive differentiator. And so that was always my role. I went from McKinsey, I went to uh, Booz Allen, I went to uh, Accenture, became a partner at Accenture, and then, and then spent 12 years as a partner, partner at, at, at Bain. So it was a uh, so I'm kind of back to my roots in the sense that now I'm back to software again. Mm. So I think that partly answered my question, but I couldn't remember. Bain, is that part of the consulting? Or that wasn't part of the consulting, right? Or that what? is consulting, yeah. Bain, Bain is too, Bain has a, Bain uh, actually split off many, many years ago, Bain Capital, which sort of the, what Mitt Romney founded. And so that's gotten a lot of press over the last you know, five years for Bain Consulting, which is a consulting firm. It was founded as a consulting firm. So I was part of Bain Consulting, not part of Bain Okay, Consulting. got you. So you did Bain Consulting, and you did that for a, quite a long time, 25 years plus. And during that period of time, <clears throat> I'm sure you did a lot of consulting, a lot of work. And so <clears throat> how was it? And was there anything, so you left Bain after being a partner there for quite a long time doing consulting and went back to kind of your software roots. How was that transition, right? So it seems like, you know, 
a lot of times when you get into, you know, doing, I don't know, corporate America, and that always has such a bad connotation, bigger business or something with a lot of resources or, you know, with a lot of reach and a lot of uh, those type of things. And, you know, how did, how is it to make that transition from that to more of a startup or your own business? Uh, you, you, I don't think I could have ever imagined how hard it would be. Mm. Um, it, because it wasn't, and, you know, part of it is the support system, the security, uh, but, you know, a partner in consulting firm is a good job. Uh, you, you're comfortable. Everyone listens to you. You're kind of high status, right? I mean, and so the, the way the world perceives you and, and the way sort of business comes to you is actually, I don't know, it's not easy, but it's not, it's, you know, most people believe in you just by the fact that I'm a partner saying, oh, I, I respect you. Um, and, and you've got these teams around you, brilliant people, and and you know the the business is, is relationships that have been forged over many years. Jump, you know, fast forward into a startup. First of all, the domain knowledge required to run a startup is you know everything from trying to figure out where are we going to sit to our HR policy to finance to you know every aspect of running a company, and you just that that's an eye opener because you don't realize how much work that stuff really is to get right and how important it is. Mm. Uh, and then, you know, the world doesn't notice you anymore. They'll, they'll notice you the first couple of months. <laughs> You've been through this, right? But suddenly you're like this invisible blot in this company that does no percentage of anyone's mind share. Mm. When you, when you say, Hey, I'm from Snapchat, you know, there's Snapchat, you know, or they can't, you know, it's, it's, <laughs> and, and so you, you, you become this from this sort of, high status, high profile individual to running a company that no one's ever heard of. And boy, you know, yeah, you have to really believe, right? I mean, mm. it, yeah, you have to, you have to really persist And that, you know, yeah, it's a very hard transition. And you, you know, I did it because I wanted to go on. That's what I've done in my career and come out of a traditional background of consulting. I also I had something to prove in consulting. At some point I felt like I proved it and, I'm just motivated by, by, you know, being able to, to have this, this hill to climb. And so it's at the same time, very motivating, but also, you know, it's, it's really hard. It continues to be every day because, you know, the world is not, is not going to flock to you. And, and I will say one more thing, it's a popular press around, around startups, as you know, you get the glamour stories of the, you know, one in a hundred thousand who, you know, become a unicorn in a year that and so there's this perception but reality of most of the success stories is really really hard work and it's a lot a lot of persistence and so so you have to kind of just learn to internalize it and i i wouldn't trade it for the world but to say that it was like oh this easy simple thing i'll just step into it and all will be good no not even close no and i agree i mean there is certainly you know almost a prestige or something you know, when you when you work with a bigger company or name recognition, and you especially been there a long time and get a, a higher position in the company, it carries that weight, right? And then you make the transition and, you know, people that would previously, not that they won't maybe take your call, but they're not going to take, the, you, you go down a, a few levels on importance as far as how quickly they'll take your car, or if they'll respond, or if they'll offer some aid, because before they were trying to make you happy because you were working at a big company and they wanted to keep relations or they wanted to land that business or whatever the case may be when you're at, you know, at a startup, you know, and you typically they're going to say, well, you're not worth, you know, not in a mean sense, but you're not worth my time or, you know, I have much totally. more higher important things to do. 
And so it can make it more difficult to get their attention. So nonetheless, so you make that transition, you jump out of, you know, big business or you jump out of Bain, go towards uh, Snapstrap, said it right that time, um, and, or I did stumble that time. And so you do that, you've been doing that for four years. So how has that journey gone? So you, you, as you started to build it, you had the idea we're going to move things into a, you know, more faster pace or be able to make it sustainable. How have you been able to, how has that last four years gone for you? Um, so, you know, one, one really nice thing that's somewhat unusual uh, for enterprise software startups, not unheard of, but the vision has been absolutely consistent with the day, you know, I, I had the concept to where we are today. I mean, the belief that we could take this category of decisions and turn that into a you know, software platform that we could configure for a specific company with a specific decision has been always been consistent and the market the market need is very clear as the conversations we have and so that 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 part of the journey of having that kind of diagnosis that's sort of been there the whole way has been has been, been great but i didn't understand um and, and a lot of the journey is learning learning the how um and there's so many pieces to the how so how do you build a team what kind of skills do you need what is actually that technology platform look like we started and i started the company we didn't have a you know a cto we, we have a, a very skilled cto now um who knows how to build it but i didn't i didn't know i just knew that it was possible but i didn't know you know exactly how complex and difficult it was going to be to build and so we've we've learned that we've built that we've acquired you know a couple of of, of landmark uh, customers uh, sephora and frontier communications so a top of uh, a couple of you know fortune 1000 companies that are that are very high profile that's been you know that, that's been a huge boon to us so that that part of seeing the product doing what it should do and seeing technology evolve has been has been great that the single thing that's just it, that i look back and, and always get wrong is how long everything takes mm. like everything takes whether it's building technology, whether it's finding customers, whether it's finding you know the, the, the right team, whatever it is, it's going to take two times as long as you think it should. Um, it's just, because you're learning, you're making mistakes constantly along the way. It, you know, more than anything else, a startup, as you know, is a journey of mistakes and recovery, not, not a journey of doing everything right. It's like, it's a journey of doing 95% of the things wrong, but then recognizing them and changing course. And so that's, that's how we work, but, but that makes things take longer. No, and I think that's, and I think as much, many times as you always hear that, if it takes, you know, double the amount of time and double the amount of money, everybody also thinks they're always the exception, right? You're always saying, yeah, that's for everybody else. And yeah, it will take double the amount of time, double the amount of, but I'm the exception. I planned it out well, and it, it, I've got this covered and we're going to, and I think it's right. And I think everybody, a lot of times you have to have gone through that to just say, okay, you know, it's right. It does take double the amount of time. It does take double amount of the effort. And no matter how much you plan, double that, because even if you think you're the exception, great, but double it anyway, because more likely than not, you're going to be the per you're going to be like everybody else. And it's going to take more time and effort and money than you thought it would. So now as you've built that, you've, you've got, you know, fast forwarding open almost to where you're at today. So you've built it, you've, you know, gone through some of those longer time and money and effort than you thought it would, landing some larger clients or, you know, landing some clients, starting to get some traction. So <clears throat> where do you think, you know, the, the next six, uh, six to 12 months will take you? Where do you see that or, or that headed? 
Yeah, I mean, we're, we're scaling the company, which is a big, I mean, so you think about the stages. One, the first stage of the company is, okay, let me understand what product we're actually trying to sell and let's try and find a customer, right? Get enough around it so we can sell something. The next stage is you're actually building out, kind of using that customer relationship to kind of build out, you know, the product, make sure that there's a, a need in the market and that product meets that need. And then we're at this stage now, which, okay, that exists. How do we take that? And obviously it continues to evolve the product and the market fit, but how do you take that and scale it? So we're going from two customers to five customers to 10 customers to a hundred customers. And that's our journey right now. And so that, that it changes our focus. So as a CEO, I've actually been spending the last couple of years, a very high degree of my time on the product and the, you know, the, and, and making sure that it meets the needs of the customers. Now I'm spending all of my time on both the market and, and you know, increasingly on, on investors so that we can begin to you know, grow the company from you know, the, the two customers to the 100 customers. And it's just very different. Again, it's a new mindset. Uh, it's very much outward facing. It's uh, the, the you know, finding the first customers was all about network and relationships. The next set of customers is, is, is much more about, you know, the numbers game being, you know, highly persistent to continuing to to go after those uh, to go after those customers. Very targeted messaging because these are people that haven't heard of you. So there's a very sort of a nuance on on that, uh, you know, that that part of the job. And so for me, it's just another one of many many transitions. Right, I'm going from being kind of a product focused CEO to one that's her sales focused, and you know, it's. Like anything else, it's other. It's another thing, another thing to learn, another thing to stumble through. Yeah, and I, I think that's interesting. I mean, because I, I think that that uh, speaks to a lot of you know what the transition that most companies have to go through, and kind of reminds me, you know, take this or just tangent for a second. You know, so I always like to read books, and I think I may have mentioned this on one or two episodes. Otherwise, you know, so I in generally, I, you know, I'm as at heart, I'm a startup entrepreneur, love the small business type of guy, and so. But if I ever have free time, most of the time when people ask me what my hobby is, I just use, usually say startups. Um, but if, um, if, you know, if I do have time outside of that and I'm doing a hobby, a lot of times I'll read books and I'll read books that are more on the um, biography or telling the story of a business or an individual. And so one of the reasons my wife always gives me a hard time that my whole life is startups. So why would I go read books about other startups and how do I find that interesting? But nonetheless, I do. So I was reading a book about, or recently read a book and it's, um, it, that, that will never work. And it's really about the story of Mark Randolph, which is the founder of Netflix. And even though now you hear Steve Hastings a lot of times, um, it's really Mark Randolph that came up with the idea and, and built it. And the, and you know, the site, the tangent is, is, you know, Steve Hastings was a former business partner of his. They worked together in a previous adventure and he was, they drive to work together as they were or commuting and he would, you know, they, he pitched the idea of a whole bunch of ideas off of them, which one of which was Netflix. Steve Hastings says that will never work. And then obviously they went on to build it. But what I, the tangent that I was getting back to the point is that, you know, they went through a progression where Steve, you know, they had a lot of generalists. You have, you almost start a company or start up with a lot of generalists. And I say, you know, have to wear multiple hats, have to be able to do everything and do it well or do it well enough in order to get things accomplished. And yet as a business evolves, it transitions from, you know, you have to do or be a generalist to you have to be a, a specialist, right? You have to be able to now have people that can do something very well, do it just to, you know, specialize in that. And so you have to do that. And so as Netflix, as they were transitioning, 
Um, you know, Mark Randolph basically had Steve Hastings to come down and said, you've done a great job till now as CEO, but for the next stage, we have to find a new CEO and basically I'll be that person. And they had to make that transition. But I thought it was interesting that, you know, whether or not you're the guy or whether or not anybody's a person or whether or not you have to look at it and say, okay, I've grown it to a point. I, this is my specialty. I'm the generalist. I can build something, take the idea stage. Some people can make that transition very well. And others are saying, nope, this is, it's grown to the past the point that I can do. I'm out and I'll let somebody else take it in that stage. So I think that everybody goes through those growing pains as a startup, whether or not you're, you make the transition, somebody else makes it for you, or however that plays. I think it's an interesting kind of common thread throughout a lot of businesses. Yeah, no, it's, um, you know, the way I, the way I view it is, um, we have a great team, really, really fortunate. And the CEO's job, in my, in my view, is less gathering, you know, make, reduce the traps, give them the resources they need, and be, you know, be, I view myself as more working for the team as them working for me. And so, you know, my job is to fill in the spots where we need, we need help the most and to stay out of the way where we don't. Um, and, and that's, you know, as long as, as long as I can do that, then, then that's the right thing for me at the moment. I can't, I, my, my goal and the goal of our, of our team and even our advisory team is we want to build a, you know, a spectacular, very large company in a new category. You know? mm. And if we're going to, we're going to do that, you know, we're going to do that collectively and whatever, you know, and the whole attitude is, well, whatever it takes. Right. And so I think kind of self-awareness of those kinds of things is, you know, and is important and, and you have to understand where your skills are and where you don't have them. Right. I mean, knowing what you're not good at as a leader is probably more important than knowing what you're good at. Hmm. No, I, I, I think that makes, I think that's very good, good advice. So. Well, as we're reaching towards the end of the podcast and always plenty more things we could talk on, but uh, as we reach the end, I always ask two questions at the end of each podcast, so maybe we'll jump to those now. So the first question I always ask is, so what was your worst business decision you ever made? So, I, you know, coming, coming from consulting, I, I, the first thing in consulting when you start a new project or something, okay, let's, let's get the right team. That's like the, everything is around a team. And so to me, when I started Snapchat, that was just another project, right? Okay, I, if I get the right team, we'll be, we'll be great. Let's get the right team and then get started. But the reality of the first six months in a startup is you're just trying to figure out, get people to talk to, figure out what the product looks like and find someone who's willing to let you work with them. And that doesn't really take a team. And so we had a team, wasn't... Uh, it was great people, but it wasn't the, it, A, wasn't the right team. And there wasn't that much for that team to do. And so we kind of spun around and, and it felt really awkward. I mean, it was just, it was this real. And so then, and then we, you know, then, and then we landed uh, Sephora, our launch customer. And then shortly after that, we reconfigured the team because we had downright skills to build the technology product, which we hadn't have. And, and so, you know, once we had the customer, you could figure out what team you needed. And so, I, you know, I think I wasted sort of a lot of time and energy and, 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 you know, people's, you know, and people's energy on who, who are along the ride with me at mm -hmm. first, just by going to the team too early, instead of thinking about what do I really need to do? And what's really my role at this stage of the company? So if I started again, 
it would just be me for a while until I really had enough for a team to do. And then, and then I kind of get people out of, uh, out of need instead of deciding I needed a team to start. Hmm. So it's almost a, at the start or the starting point, the right team was you and then it needed to grow to a bigger team, but exactly. That's yeah. Good. Do, do okay. it as you need it. Not as uh, not, not because you think you need a team. Yeah. And so and I think that's different for every startup. Sometimes you do need, you know, three or four programmers or you need one programmer or you need a sales guy because it's really a service company. But I think that defining what that team is and making sure that 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 team may be different on different points in time is something certain to, to learn from. So, yeah. okay, as we jump to my second question, um, which is if you were to talking with somebody that's just getting into a startup or small business, what would be the one piece of advice you'd give them? So, you know, in every, I think this is probably true of almost every founder, certainly every first time founder, which is for every person that, you know, truly believes in you, they're going to be a hundred who either don't believe in you or don't care. That could be investors. It can be potential customers. It can be potential team members. Mm-hmm. And so what I, what I believe is from, from the people who believe in you, those are gold, draw your inspiration from those people, right? They they are, and you'll recognize them because they're going out of their way. They're putting their reputation on the line. They're often putting their money on the line. They may be putting their careers on the line because they believe in, in, in you as, a, as an individual and what the concept you have was. And so you can draw a ton of inspiration from those people. But for the 99 who don't believe in you, you know, for all the investor conversations you're going to have where someone says, they don't like your idea, here's why. For all the customer conversations where they don't return a call because your number is 78 and they're listed, mm. you know, just not important enough. You know, draw your motivation from those people. You got to be like, like to me, because persistence is everything in this business. You got to persist, 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 persist through all of these, you know, for every one positive thing that happens, 30 bad things are going to happen. So how do you get through those 30? Draw motivation from so whenever I, when an investor says they're not going to invest, I visualize them five years from now going, wow, I really wish I'd invested in Snapstrap. You know, for every team member who decided not to join, I visualize them. Wow, if I could have gone back and done it then, I would, you know, and, and I drive my motivation. It's not that those people are bad. It's not that they're even necessarily, you know, just, I know we're going to succeed. I, I have this view of it's inevitable. And so, I, you know, it's, that's how I draw, draw that motivation. That's how, how I kind of sustain it through the fact that all of these, uh, you know, there's, there's so many people who are going to be negative about what you're doing. It doesn't matter how great it is. It's because it's new, people don't recognize it and they don't see it the same way that you do. Yeah, no, I think that's a, that's a good, or a good advice as well as to draw from the positivity of those that are your cheerleaders or are your support and take it with a, certainly take it with a grain of salt, those that are negative or that, you know, that don't, don't see the vision and, and figure out how, you know, as you hit those harder times, how to draw on that, that positivity. So, well, as we wrap up, as we get or finished, um, how, if people want to either be your customer, invest in you, they want to, you know, be your cheerleader, they want to be those supportive people or anything else, what's the best way to reach out to you to connect with you? Uh, Jonathan at snapstrat.com or, or LinkedIn, neither one. I'm always happy to talk about what we're doing. Uh, happy to, uh, you know, happy to connect with people in kind of any, any way. Um, I certainly have had the, the advantage of having you know, many advisors and mentors along the way. So I'm happy to 
provide that or, you know, love to find customers and investors as well. So just, just uh, reach out either via email or, uh, or on LinkedIn. All right. Well, I certainly invite everybody to uh, connect and to uh, make the, or make those connections and to uh, be a customer an investor or just a cheerleader and uh, reach out, reach out for anything else that they may need. Well, Jonathan, thank you for coming on. It's been a pleasure to have you on. Fun to talk through your journey and hear what you're doing and wish you the next uh, leg of your journey, all of the success. Um, and uh, for those of you that would like to be a, a tell, come on and tell your journey on the podcast, feel free to go on to inventivejourneyguest.com uh, to apply. Um, if you are a listener, make sure to subscribe so that you can hear this uh, episode and all the new episodes as they release. And uh, if you ever need any help with uh, patents and trademarks, certainly feel free to reach out to us at Miller IP Law. Jonathan, thank you again for coming on. It was a pleasure. Good luck with the rest of your journey and uh, have a good one. Thank you, Devin.